0: Hey guys, what's going on? It's David Avalon with my co-host Robert Drysdale for another episode of Breaking the Guard. Uh, This episode was actually filmed a couple weeks ago, but uh, I got real busy with running my jujitsu camp and then I went out hunting, so I'm just posting it now. But uh, uh, we start off talking about me and Rob's travels on vacations, get a little bit into the purpose of life which we probably know nothing about <laughs> but we take a stab at it and then most of the episodes talking about uh training with purpose so we talk about things how like some people do shadow box and they don't pay attention to what they're actually doing when they're shadow boxing you know they're just throwing their hands up sometimes they don't even have their fists closed their eyes are looking down so you know that's a pet peeve of of mine and my brother so we talk about stuff like that about you know training injuries uh where they happen, what's the mentality like, and even what's what's it like to be in the locker room before a fight. So I think for anybody who's a martial arts practitioner, this would be a good one to tune into, and uh, hopefully you pick up a thing or two that can help your game. So go ahead and tune in, and I hope you enjoy. Before we get started, I want to give a shout-out to BJJRetreat.com. BJJRetreat.com is, of course, my website for uh, hosting jiu-jitsu retreats and mixed martial arts retreats. This next one I'm doing is going to be from November 2nd to November 8th here in Las Vegas. It's going to be just a couple days. It finishes just a couple days before the IBGF Masters World Championships here in Vegas. So it's a great excuse to come early if you're going to compete in that event, which just watch and you can train with us here. You know, it's going to be a good five days of training and uh, you'll be staying. Well, we have the option of staying with me at my home and uh, we can accommodate eight people here. And in the last group, it was a wonderful time, you know, between uh, training here in the afternoons, we would go out on morning excursions like Red Rock uh, Canyon we would go hiking there. We I taught them some firearm instruction uh and then the following day took him out to the desert went out shooting you know we went axe throwing spear throwing throwing shovels and chinese stars and uh we did some hot and cold therapy a lot of cool stuff and plus if you're my at my place i have lots of cool recovery tools like a swim spa i have a massage chair i have a masseuse that can come in here so i i think it's the closer you'll get to what people like to call the jujitsu lifestyle (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> we're living it oh and plus i'm smoking all sorts of good meat bison and some of the elk that i caught in my last hunt so if there's enough left of it uh, you can definitely partake in that too so you can go ahead and visit bjjretreat.com to learn more about that next retreat it's currently 30 percent off uh for the month of august It's like our early bird special so if you jump in now uh, you'll save 30%, which is a, a good chunk of money there that you can use to get some more acai, <laughs> right? So go ahead, visit bjjretreat.com to learn all about it. Hey, guys, what's going on? David Avalon here with my co-host Robert Drysdale for another episode of Breaking the Guard. Rob's been, I think it's one of the longer delays of- <laughs> hiatuses that we've had
1: yeah man podcast. this has been like what almost a month maybe a month I it's think. been a minute yeah it's been a while it's been a month um yeah just busy Dave's traveling a lot I've been traveling a lot work schedule but uh all good stuff I just got back by um from uh, Maui and short little vacation with my kids living life living <laughs> talk about a life man like, talk about like, every time I go to Hawaii like anywhere in Hawaii just like man this does not it does not get better than this I've been, some, I've been to many places, man. Like, I've been all over Brazil, um, Caribbean, Australia, Thailand, Mediterranean. I think Hawaii's my favorite. I think Hawaii's just, like, the one place I'm like, man, this is just absolutely magic. And just everywhere you go, there's something beautiful to look at. You know, it's like, oh, there's that good beach over there. There's no such thing in Hawaii. Like, man, it's 360, <laughs> you know, like, beautiful mountains and, you know, and, 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 and water everywhere. It's just incredible. But, yeah, my kid's had a blast. Um, it makes you think what kind of life you want to live, you know. Sure. Whenever I'm in a place like that, I always—I don't know I, I told here. I told this story recently. I can't remember where it was. The fisherman and the businessman. Ever tell that yes, story? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We did yeah, like, yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And nice. it's, it always makes me remind me of that story. It's like, what's the point of it all? Like, why are you working? So, what is it about accumulating wealth that is going to make you so much happier at the end? On the other side, right? Yeah. Like, it makes you think these things. And like, meanwhile, this guy lives in a tent on the water in Hawaii and fishes for a living. <laughs> like who's smart, right? Like it makes you, it just like uh, um it makes you rethink priorities in life.
0: It, it, I guess it brings up the question like, what is the the purpose of life then, right? Yeah, because yeah. you could
1: easily, well, not easily,
0: but you can definitely live that lifestyle where it's just about sustenance, yeah. right? You don't need to accumulate anything. Yeah. You just need to be able to live day to day, and ideally with some comfort, right? Yeah. But you can live within your means and just enjoy yourself. Yeah. Versus being what we consider highly productive and yeah. successful, where I am, you know, you're conquering industry and you're producing things, you're getting your name out there, and I guess you can make the argument you're contributing more to society by true your efforts. So it's, I guess it depends where you want to be, but I think at a certain, I, I think it's like in phases, right? At a certain point, everybody wants to make their mark, contribute, yeah. become somewhat famous, at least have some type of impact on the world where you yeah. leave and like. People know that I provided something. It wasn't in vain. <laughs> my life wasn't in vain. You know, I wasn't you, just yeah. an air <laughs> mouth breather taking space. Right? Yes, like, yes. I did something that helped you know, my yes. community, whatever. But then at a certain point, it's like, all right, now it's time just to enjoy what little at, time I have left. It's you know? called retirement. Yeah, like yeah. That's,
1: that's, I think that's like the natural progression of things. It's like I've done my work, now I'm going to enjoy life and rest a little. Because you don't have the energy to do much else anyway. I imagine you get to 70, it's harder and harder to have the energy to want to go out and conquer you know he probably i mean I know people my my grandfather worked till he was like eighty like he just never stopped it started when he was eight years old he worked until like he died, at eighty three he had cancer that's why he stopped otherwise he would have kept going you know but like it's 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 different for everyone no but I'm with you man I think that it's it's um like the meaning of things is the real like what does it mean to you right I think a lot of people that stay on that treadmill for you to stay that motivated for that long I don't think it's money that motivates you it's the the actual accomplishment right because if I think a lot of these like superficial rewards they they're short lived. There's only so much, like so many medals you can win before you kind of run. Like, sure. It's got to be for you to stay in jujitsu your whole life. It can't be the medal. It can't be the reputation. It's got to be something else, right? Because it's short lived. Same thing with like I think chasing money. It's gonna be short lived. You're gonna run out of breath eventually because it's not enough motivation to stay on the train. You got to really love what you're doing. Stay long term. You know. I, I, I think I, on the most part that's true.
0: Although you do have the Jeff Bezos of the world. Well, We'll keep pushing, but I, I, I agree with your point. Like, law average is like m- yeah. mo- the majority of people are going
1: to get tired of that at yeah. a certain point. But I think Jeff Bezos loves what he does. He just happens to make a lot of money. I think if he made a quarter or a tenth of the money, which is like not even in his yeah. case, like I mean, you have to yeah, get <laughs> a hundred. And, and I think he'd be doing even if he didn't make Even if he made as much as me and you, I, I suspect he would be doing the same thing. You know, I think, I think he just loves. Well, I think guy, for you to make that be that successful building something, you have to love to build. I think that's, it's not, it's not that it doesn't, I think that the, the, the prime, what keeps him at bed, awake at night is not so much, oh, I have so much money in my bank account. I don't think that's what he's thinking about. I'm thinking about what is my next move? Like, what's the next move? What's the next building block, right? Because you see a lot of people that are motivated solely by the money. Those are the ones that run out of breath, I think. I think they're the ones that are truly passionate about building are those are the ones most successful ones and if they happen to make a lot of money because you can be building your jiu-jitsu career and sure. not make anything like <laughs> like like us you know <laughs> or or you can you know building you can be building something like amazon at a time where no one thought it was going to be anything and it turned out to be the biggest company in history biggest corporation in history they're bigger than governments
0: yeah I, I think in his case is and for a lot of people that stature it's just the driver power right like, yeah I think they... It's not necessarily... I mean, money is just a one measure of power. Yeah. But controlling the whole industry, yeah. for example... Is oh, you've got to get a kick out of it, yeah. for sure. And, you know, like, he just had his space flight. Yeah. You know, so that's obviously, like... Well, I, I guess I read somewhere that apparently his brother wanted to go to space. Like, I guess, when they were kids. Something yeah. like that. So... If that was the case, man, that's a pretty amazing thing. To is do he competing with his
1: brother still? Is it still like? Is this still like? No, no, no. He, uh, he took his brother with him. Oh, he took his brother with him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. So it wasn't an evil type of thing. <laughs> He's like, <"Fuck laughs> you, brother. I'm going <laughs> to space. Yeah. He'd stay here on boring Earth. Yeah, yeah. No, no, he took him yeah. up. With
0: him. So <laughs> no, he did, like, I guess they were trying to check off boxes because I guess he brought what would have been the youngest astronaut yeah. and the oldest astronaut, him yeah. and his brother. But then the FAA. Decided, you know what, that doesn't meet the criteria for being an astronaut anymore.
1: What does it mean? Yeah,
0: because apparently you have to reach a certain height. I think they call it the cardinal or I, I probably have it wrong, but something to that level that a certain height above the Earth's atmosphere, you're in space. And they more than surpassed it. But then they said, you know what, the criteria has to be that you have to be doing something useful or productive to the scientific community. You can't yeah. just be like a passenger. And this, uh, Shuttle was autonomous. Yeah. You know, they weren't doing anything. They were just sitting there going up and going down.
1: And I guess the argument is... Like the, 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 the giant, the giant the, metallic penis is going the, up. The phallic. <laughs> the phallic. Yeah. What, what, what was that one? It's like, what, why would you choose that shape? But I'm like, why not a normal shape rocket? What's wrong with that? That's yeah, so what they made The Dr. Evil comparison. Yeah. To his bones, oh, man. So but, bad. Uh,
0: yeah, so I guess like, the argument is, it's kind of like if you flew in the airplane just as a passenger, now you're yeah. a pilot. Yeah. You know? No, you're, you're just a passenger. But yeah. I guess they're trying to say, you know, you're not an astronaut because someone sh- shot you into space. You're an astronaut when you actually work in space. Okay. Seems a little petty, but I guess yeah. now they're seeing that there's gonna, this is possibly a trend going on. Like they're going to start oh, doing it's gonna space tourism. going to cheaper. Yeah, yeah. then you're going to, well, everybody's now an astronaut because yeah. they got into space. So I, I get it. It just seems like the timing could
1: have been better, you know. It's it seems- a good point. I never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, because you're technically, if you're just, like, sitting there, well, you're not really, you're just a passenger. You're really just a tourist, you know. But I think like Elon Musk was talking about, like, shuttles that go across the world through space, and you make it to China in an hour. So it wouldn't be, like, a 16-hour flight anymore. It would be like a one-hour flight through outer space. So you would go out of the or, uh, Earth's orbit and then go to China or Brazil or Australia or whatever, and you'd be there in an hour or less. That's wild. Well. It's pretty amazing. Like I, I'm 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 one hundred percent in favor of that because like no one no one wants to waste a day. That's how spoiled we are. Like back in the day, people had to get on a ship and <laughs> cross the three Atlantic months. and they were excited about it. Like, yeah, three months in the ocean, you know? Like we're like, oh man, this is an like eight hour flight that's gonna take me all the way to Europe and they're you know, we're complaining. But yeah, it's gotten it's gotten more comfortable for sure.
0: No, absolutely. So I mean, in regards to like conversation where are just talking about power accumulation yeah. so i i think for sure that's something that motivates people who are that industrious you know because at a
1: certain point the money doesn't mean anything anymore right? Well, no like, you couldn't spend it if you tried yeah like it's it's gonna last an eternity it's not about yeah. comfort anymore it's about i i truly believe they just love to build and they're competitive of course they're watching who the guys behind them immediately behind or immediately in front of them right so we're in, in competition the whole time and i think that's part of the motivation but I think you have to, it's like, it's like jujitsu. I see this all the time. You know, you get these, and, and back when we started, like there were a lot less practitioners, let's be frank. Yeah. Right? But at the same time, you knew because there was no money and there was no, I mean, you did, for you to get a picture at Gracie Magazine, like you had to win a world. I mean, it, and that's a small picture. Maybe. Yeah. I can, it, you didn't, there's, no, there's no recognition either. You were doing it for, the, the only reason you were doing it is because you absolutely loved it. Right Today, because there's money being flooded into the sport, get more popular, what happens is it draws a lot of people. I don't think they have the right motivations. And even though they're super into jiu-jitsu for a while, it lasts like three, four years, and once they see they're not going to get what they were expecting out of it, you can see them losing motivation. They don't have the motivation to stick to it for 20 years because it's. I don't think they're really passionate about it. It's not jiu-jitsu that they love. It's what they think they can get out of jiu-jitsu that they're really all about. Right. And then people like that when I when I watch them all the time and I'm like this guy is so and he's not into jujitsu he's into what he think he's gonna get at they run out of breath give it three or four years and you start you can see their motivation start going down because they're not doing it for the right reasons right no that, that
0: and that's true because when example when I started I paid to compete yeah right and not just like oh like nah or something like that just like in any like yeah. we're gonna do a shoot fight they go it's fifty dollars to get in to fight you know and, <laughs> okay that's what it is you know so. And it would never was, I never had this idea that I was going
1: to be rich and famous. through. It never crossed your mind because it yeah. wasn't even the horizon. Yeah, There was talk about MMA out doing boxing one day. That was the only thing we kind of believed in those days. Like, you yeah. know, anything other than that, it was just like, no, there's no way this is going to happen. But
0: even that quickly dissipated because, I mean, early 90s, UFC had a lot of attention, right? But then once they went into the dark ages, like early 2000s, like nobody had heard of it anymore. Yeah. So you would be a fool. To go into MMA, thinking I'm going to become oh, absolutely, famous. yeah. No, it's no, no like you're just a tough guy yeah. and you want to prove yourself. Yes, and that's and that's what it is. So, like you said, like well, in my gym, when people first came in, they were
1: all lunatics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're the, the crazy ones. Yeah. But, but they love they, but they yeah. were there for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah, because they, right? they they wanted yeah.
0: to the train. They knew They they knew yes. what it entailed, and uh, they enjoyed the art of it.
1: Yeah, they enjoyed being, and, and, and you're exactly right, there was no expectation. When people think, oh, they're there for them, like, you got to understand, like, newer generation, you can say that. Yeah. You can look at how much money Conor McGregor's making, you can go like, oh, that's what I want. Okay, that's your motivation. But back in the day when Mark Coleman and Mark Kerr and Randy Rose fight, those guys were fighting in that and that era right there, right? I mean, there was nothing there. Yeah, you know, now, there was nothing. Like, and Pride came about and it was like a big because Pride was paying so much more than the UFC was, you know, like in the day. Yeah. But it was it was even it was a small window too. It wasn't a big one. And like I feel like the same guys were taking advantage of it. There were only half dozen people that actually were consistently making big money from Pride. And most people were still on the fringes of the art. Uh yeah. Yeah, and right now
0: MMA does present an opportunity for a major athlete because there's still relatively not a lot of competition when you compare it to, like, NBA, NHL, NHL all yeah. that. There, you don't have to go through a college program and excel in college and then go into the, you know, like, I forgot what they call it, intermediate between, like, pro and college. I forget Ooh. what it is. But, like, there's a lot of tiers you have to get yeah. through before you get to the top. In MMA, you can just fight pro right from the get-go yeah. and get on one of these shows, and now you're in the big time.
1: I think the, the, the latter is definitely shorter. I will say this though, man. I I mean, I grew up in Brazil. I, I've seen there's like a professional team in my hometown, and I've seen them practice. Their practice isn't that hard. I mean, they got good cardio. I mean, soccer is like yeah. they got maybe. And I've seen like I, I used to do a conditioning gym here in Vegas, and the UNLV football team would come over to do conditioning with us. And I'm not trying to shit on soccer yeah, and football yeah. here. I'm just being honest. Like and I'm watching their physical conditioning, like their training, and I'm like I'm not impressed. Like, it it, it is easier. Like, when it comes to physical for fighting, like, and, like, other sports. I mean, I think gymnastics is brutal. I think there's some sport, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's the hardest, even though I think fighting physically is probably top five, one of the hardest things you can do physically, right? Because it's so demanding. But a lot of the, even though, like, I can see you're saying, like, the ladder is longer, it might be harder to go because you have to start, you know, you start, what, high school, middle school. That's when your career. Yeah. When you start building. MMA, you get the phenoms, guys that, just rise to the top very quickly, you know, like two, three years fighting. Next thing you know, they're, they're winning, making millions in the UFC. Yeah. Rare, rare, but it yeah. does have. But, like, the training is so much harder.
0: It, it's definitely a lot more strenuous, but if you have that, amb- if you're athletic and you have the ambition, yeah. there is an opportunity, because right now I think Conor McGregor is the number
1: one paid, paid athlete, athlete in the world. In yeah. all sports, which is, I mean, phenomenal. But that's not just from sports. That's from a lot of endorsements. yes. yes. Well, he yeah. had that. Yeah, the whiskey, that, like, the whiskey
0: thing that made it over like hundred million something like that. That's crazy. He sold it, so like that was the bulk of it. But still, he would have never had that platform without the MMA career because the UFC provides such a megaphone for marketing. Yeah, if you know how to use it, like someone like Connor did, oh. you can blow up. You know, and there's certain guys there who are doing really well with that, and even like like this kid, like uh, Sean O'Malley. Uh, the sugar foot whatever he's yeah. broken <laughs> a bunch of times I mean he's I don't know the appeal is not there for me I mean, he's
1: making money you know
0: he's got his only I don't know what, what Yeah, it's,
1: I think he has something to do with Snoop Dogg I, I can't even keep up he like, yeah. said something about you can blow him up if you understand the opportunity
0: and know how to use it yeah. you can blow yourself up much faster yeah. right so in that sense it is going to attract a lot more athletes versus what I call like Warriors, right? Like when MMA started, everybody was a warrior that got into it yeah. because there was no other incentive, right? You're not playing a game, you're, you're there to fight because you want to prove yourself. But when you're there for from, from money or fame, now you might not be, a, you know, what I consider a warrior someone who's willing to die for yeah. fighting. Like you're just there to cash in and then pop out. Different motivation, yeah. man. It's so there is different. a different motivation. And I think even like in jiu-jitsu, like you're saying, that can start creeping in now because there's, there's more companies. money in jiu than there ever has been, and yeah. there's also more exposure yeah. than there ever has been. I mean, you can have someone like, um, and just, I guess, the nature of the world now yeah. with podcasts and all that. Hey, Joe Rogan says your name a couple of times.
1: Yeah, it says Kingmaker. Right? Yeah, yeah,
0: like this guy, uh, and I, blow him. <laughs> I tell people all the time, it doesn't work. The knees over toes guy. Have yeah. you heard that guy?
1: You you were talking about the, um, it's before, like, the, the squatting, ability, right? All
0: that. I heard about it from Joe Rogan. And that guy's everywhere now.
1: You know, and good for him.
0: It's a it's a good product, for sure. Yeah. So like, if you have a good message and you can get on the right channel, yeah, hey, we can tune in. So now like, jujitsu is kind of like that you now, like, and he's blowing people up all the time. You know, Craig Jones, Gordon Ryan, yeah, uh, I like a lot of these kids are and it's great, you know, it's yeah. good for the movement. But as you said, it kind of it could I guess we could say corrupt like your motivations for, yeah, for training. and
1: and, and it the thing, if you're not gonna make it to an elite level without the right motivations, you can have all these things coexisting with the right motivation. So you get like someone like Connor who is an exceptional athlete, the one he's a good fighter. But I don't I don't I wouldn't rank him the top ten of all time. Like most people would. But like but he has the right motivation. He loves fighting. And he was the most successful, financially speaking, fighter of all time. In yeah. MMA, at least, right? So these things coexist. But, like, I just, I, 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 I remember, I think it was Quentin Jackson was telling me one thing. I think he made, like, $200 his first fight. I remember it was, like, $300 or something like that. I remember, like, talking to Joan Beto Baheta, who we interviewed for the documentary. And he was telling us, uh, this is an off, it wasn't, it's not in the book, but, like, just, you know, yeah. conversation off. He's like, we used to fight every weekend. And he got cut stitch up you know what you do go back you had stitches and you go back fighting bare knuckles used to fight every weekend and that was just like to break even pay the bills like it was just like that was the lifestyle you want to be a fighter you fight every weekend so you have like maybe two days training you know whatever days off resting and then you fight again on saturday <laughs> it's
0: brutal like you know you get you're
1: injured and you fight there's no such thing as oh i hurt my knee i can't fight there's no such thing you just go and they're like man that's hardcore but that, those were the early days. Right, that's how it was. And there has been a progression. But just think about what your motivation would have to be, I be mean, in the middle of nowhere in Brazil, fighting like that to make nothing. Yeah. Like you have to absolutely love fighting. Like that guy, you can you cannot question his motivation because there's nothing there. There's no I mean, yeah, some press. There's some press, but it's not a lot. You know, like no one's going to get rich from it back in the day, 1930s, 40s, 50s, you kidding me? Yeah. Like people weren't even thinking about this, but these guys were in like smaller arenas banging it out—headbutts, elbows, knuckles. Dude, that's brutal shit. Yeah, bare knuckle is tough. You yeah. know, it's tough on the hands <laughs> too. No, no that's what it's I mean. Like, yeah, you break your hands. You it's know, easy. because everyone think I mean for people that don't, you know, bliss City may not know this, but the hand, the gloves, yeah, they protect. They they prevent cuts on the face because it's gonna it's gonna do that. It's gonna like if with enough vaseline, it's gonna.
0: Right, a yeah, bit. a little bit,
1: right? Not a lot, but a little bit. You're going to get cut less. But really what it does is it protects the hands because one of the worst things that can happen, even with gloves, you hurt yourself. You yeah. punch someone in the forehead. Like if you, if you jab someone or right-hand someone on the crown of their forehead, you're far more likely. I mean, you might rock the guy a little bit with the impact, but it hurts your hand too if you're not punching right. Yeah. Even professional boxers break their hands yeah, It's for these not reasons. a good target at all. No, it's not. I mean, they, yeah. there are people that teach you to give the forehead when yeah. they're jabbing. Like, you lean in. In Cali, yeah. Yes, and do you do put your forehead in. into the jab, which is, I don't think, is a good idea. <laughs> I'd rather move out of the way because yeah. it's still impact, right? It can be good on the brain. Yeah. But it does damage, I mean, especially if you're not, you know, placing your hands correctly. This is why I think we were talking about this a while ago, like, about people that, that they're taught to, like, push the bag with no gloves. Yes. I think yes. that's great training for MMA because it teaches hand placement. Big gloves did not teach that because you can punch almost like anyway with big gloves and not hurt yourself. Yeah, I know.
0: I when I did my Bodog fight in Costa Rica, people asked me, "How come you weren't grappling more?" Yeah. And it's because my trainer at the time wrapped my hands like a kickboxer, so tight. I was. I had like a cast on my hand. So great for hitting though. Cause I couldn't feel anything on the hand. I could swing hammers, which is what I was and that doing. And those days,
1: you could put there's no commission. You could put tape on your hand. You could tape your hand. Well,
0: they had a commission there, so it was yeah. per spec. But you wouldn't normally wrap an MMA guy like that because he won't grab because yeah. it was just so thick, you know. But it was uh, by regulations because they do inspect yeah. it. But I remember I was just overhand rights from ground and pound all day. You know, and yeah. no pain whatsoever. You know, it was just solid, but. You can't really grab that way but that's the difference like when you train with a head with a glove it's kind of similar you know yeah. like a big glove especially if you got hand wraps underneath it and the yeah, glove. you feel invincible like most people do yeah you can just swing and yeah. your hand might be a little bit loose it doesn't matter yeah. um i think the one thing i always have to caution people is when you do go make that transition to go bare knuckle yeah. when you hit pads or gloves punch a lot softer yes yeah, you, you got to build up. you got to build yeah. up. And you get yeah. used to really placing your hands. if you just swing You'll as hard yourself. as you can, you're going to roll your hand. Because you're, yeah. you're going to realize, oh, crap. I, it's one thing to have a closed fist. It's another thing to have a really tight fist. It's completely yeah. different. Yeah.
1: Completely different. And you can have a lot of power on your shoulder if your hand at the end of the spear, like your hand doesn't isn't prepared yeah. for the impact, that power you have works against you. Your hands have to be ready to be at the end of that sort of power that your body's going to put yeah. into it. You know? And
0: the other thing is, it's tiring. Yeah, which is why you're supposed to have open hands yeah. be f- and close. Right on impact. impact. And people yeah. would be like, oh, why don't you just always have it closed? You're going to hit like this. Because if you were doing it right, you would be tired.
1: Yeah, and you're exhausted, you're, yeah.
0: And then when you actually hit, your hand's not going to be tight enough. Yes. You
1: know so I think it was, uh, I, I want to say it's Damien Mai, but it could be some other grappler. Don't quote me on it, but I think it was Damien. He wouldn't tape his hands at all. He would ask commission not to put tape his hands. He just went to gloves.
0: I know people that do that, yeah. Yeah,
1: because they did just want it, like, they know that they're not going to win by knockout. Or maybe, like, but, like, it's unlikely that they're going to win by knockout. He's far more likely to catch a naked choke and rather has as much freedom for his hands as possible. I thought it's a great idea. Yeah. As long as you're not throwing a lot of overhand rights. Yeah, that's the only thing you wouldn't want to throw with, like, no wrap on your hands at all. Because yeah, you yeah. land one on top of the head.
0: Which is likely,
1: yeah. Which is, that's one where you're throwing over the top. is a good chance you're going to land that overhand on top of your opponent's head. Um... Yeah, man, but it's—I think it's smart. Like to have because like, the pump too, you, your hands get swollen. Sure. Just think, like in a grappling match, how swollen your hands are. Now you add tape and gloves to that. Imagine when your hands feel under. I mean, you probably felt that because if your hands were taped so tight, I've always from day one I've always aware of this. I always asked them to wrap my hands very lightly. Yeah. I like, put as less tape there as possible.
0: And I had one fighter who was actually a really good knockout puncher, a one punch KO. But he only wanted a wrapping just around the knuckles nothing on the wrist nothing he wanted this to be mobile yeah but just some padding on the front
1: for punching i don't see why he just preferred it. this guy could lay people out (laughs) yeah (laughs) for grappling having the freedom of the wrist like makes perfect sense yeah um yeah that's awesome man like i like there's there's a part of me that kind of misses the day with no gloves because I think people were more careful about, I think it, in some ways it favored grapplers. It's like, mm-hmm. I was talking about this with someone, I can't remember who it was. It's like, yeah, like no gloves are better for grapplers. And then I'm thinking to myself, was like, that actually makes a lot of sense because it'd be less punching. Like the striker would be less, more worried about throwing, like because yeah. of his hands. So he's placed, like, he's more careful about his hands. For sure. Less risk for us. And how much easier is it to choke someone when you have no gloves on? Oh, tremendous. Oh, Mike, people don't realize how, and I always have my MMA guys, practice with gloves because yeah. it's a whole different ball game. you never see this rear naked choke with gloves very it's, rarely it's much more difficult like you yeah. see this guy and there's a reason for that this guy is not as strong for those of you who are listening I'm doing the gable grip or choke it's weaker but easier to get with gloves than the traditional rear naked choke with one arm behind the head which is very difficult to get with gloves yeah I mean especially a hand
0: fighting is so much harder because it's like, already a problem. You grab the glove no. with just barehanded. You know, if you have someone who's good, really and choke defense. Yeah. you got the gloves. Now it's you have to get that thicker thing under yeah. the chin, yeah. and not to mention you have the guy easier grip thing to grab, pull down. So it definitely makes it a lot harder. It's more of an art form to be able to use the the gloves and still be effective at attacking the neck. Yeah, but I think there's an element that. I do appreciate what I would think would be more realistic as far as fighting bare knuckle because it kind of adds another factor to worry about, right? Because when you're wearing wraps and gloves, you rarely have to worry about hand integrity. Yeah, I can always swing hard and, and I'm okay. But if you didn't have that, now, oh, yeah, I have to pick shots more carefully, like yeah. you said, especially when you're in the guard because the angles are kind yeah. of funny. Sometimes. And you don't want to hit that hard all the time. Yeah, it's exactly. more about placement. Yeah, exactly, because the placement becomes a lot more important. Yeah. I know, like in my fight, I, I was just swinging, you know, like and I wasn't, I wasn't even looking. It's like <laughs> boom, it didn't matter. I could hit the floor; it wasn't going to hurt me. But if I was bare knuckle, I, I couldn't throw that many shots. And the other thing people might not realize when you're pound. Because you're at this angle, because you're diagonally punching somebody, mm. it's not a normal angle to hit somebody. Especially with, like, with straight punches or whatnot. It kind of changes how you want to land. Um, that's why I, I favor overhands a lot. Because like, if you're trying to catch the chin, punching like this is not the ideal angle to, yeah. to rock the chin. But if I can overhand it, now I can glance it.
1: You oh, know. yeah, yeah. Because that's the point.
0: when you can turn the chin out yeah. sideways,
1: that's when you really... Yeah, that's when you really clip someone. Yeah. Because I think it takes more damage. It makes sense. Like I think you probably absorb damage better if it's straightforward. I don't
0: know if you're doing that, but it's it's much more rare to see someone get one knocked punch out, KO'd straight. You know, that's true. You know, normally um, it's the side it's the shot, sideways, yeah, temple shot. You know, behind the ears always gets people down. Yeah, that's a little different though. That's more like, but it's it, it out, wouldn't be a know. straight punch. It'd still be a it's like still a yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's also it has a lot to do with not seeing it as clearly, right? Because even when the punch hits you but it's coming from the front, yeah. You're seeing it somewhat and your body's taking some compensating behavior. Yeah. Right. But when it gets you from the side, chances are you didn't see it and you totally catches your blindsided. Yeah.
1: Well, that's what like people that like, get knocked out, they say. I've been dropped, not for knocked out cold, but I've been dropped twice in practice. Like never been knocked out five, but like in practice, like not out cold but out. Yeah. Right. Like would have been a ref stoppage for sure. And both times I don't remember what happened. I had mm-hmm. to be told what happened. Cause I probably had my eyes closed or I'm looking away or yeah. like, you know, like something. Because I've been, dude, I'm not saying that I have like the like strongest chin in the world, but I've been hit in the face by Vandaly Silva a bunch.
0: Yeah, it's no fun. I never, you never, <laughs> I mean, he
1: didn't, because like, you know, if, you're, if you see a punch coming at you, there's something about your brain I think prepares you for impact. Sure. And like you do something that you just react to it. The, the, the thing is, when you're looking away, you're, it's, it's like you're in the dark. Like if you blink or if you got your eyes off target or whatever the case, you're not preparing, you're not bracing for that impact. I think that's a big part of knockouts. Because most people in our talk, they'll tell you, I didn't see it coming. What happened? Yeah. What happened is like one of the most common questions. You have seen see guys are getting, standing back up. They're still on the ground. They go like, what happened? Has no idea if it was a kick, a knee, a left hook, clueless, right? Yeah. And you've seen some guys take beatings in there. And like, man, that should have not, been, I, I truly think it has to do with attention. This is why I think like eye placement is so important, just like kind of maintaining that focus. Yeah. It's something that you have to practice too because you see guys shadow boxing looking down. I used to do it. It's like awkward looking forward the whole time. Like it's easier to just look at the ground, but it becomes a habit after a while. You know, like little things like that. I think the accumulation of like the, the, these little things in practice, you don't realize how much they impact your performance. Because I always, I always say this to my students, the biggest lie a fighter ever told himself or herself is – I'll be different when I fight. Oh, yeah, I train I this way, coach, but don't worry. When it comes, you know, a, a fight day, I'll be different. I'll, it's the biggest lie. It's, and everyone tells themselves those lies because you think you're going to be different. No, you're not. You're going to be exactly who you train, how, how you train every day, right?
0: My brother used to have that pet peeve about shadowboxing. Yeah. Because shadow boxing, you can see people developing horrible habits. Oh, yeah. It's like, are you gonna punch people with your hands yeah. open, John Jones? Yeah. Or are they not yeah. <laughs> it's closed, right? And likewise, they just punch to punch. And like you said, like they're not even looking forward, they're looking down.
1: Yeah. It's like they're trying to look cool more yeah. than they're actually trying to look yeah.
0: like my brother always he does this whole shout-out boxing workout. But the idea is you should have an imaginary target in front of you. Yeah. And I'm fighting this imaginary guy. And when I slip, it's not because I'm just slipping because, oh, this is part of the routine. I'm visualizing a jab coming at me. Okay, slip outside. I'm going to return, uppercut, left hook, boom, elbow, right? Or left hook, bobbing and weaving. It's not just like I'm going through the motions because essentially then you're just doing garbage. Right. You're just pumping out stuff without having a stimulus. So it takes more work because you have to actually imagine and keep a target in front of you imaginary target like okay this guy is throwing a 1 2 so a lot of times my brother he'll do shadow boxing workouts but the two people facing each other and then they're working off each other yeah. because you're punching and then oh I so see you're throwing a jab okay then I'm slipping that jab and I'm, I'm going through so it's kind of it's shadow boxing but with a with a partner but it makes it better because now at least I have a it's easier to imagine because the guy's actually in front of me versus yeah. having to create and maintain this like imaginary target but to the point you, you train how and you fight how you train and if you're training like you know just open hands looking down or just throwing punches for no reason
1: no target yeah. it's going to affect you it's it's, and it's not really it's like your practice you might as well be playing different sport like yeah. it, it's like you're, you're preparing yourself for something that's not realistic and this is why like kind of transitioning to similar going off that right there's like how a lot of people drill and i've always i i've never drilled i've I used to flow roll a lot and do specific positions like i'm gonna start in half guard oh i half guard doesn't matter you're gonna do half guard that's how it, we call it drilling you, have to, you pick a position and you have to force yourself to play in that position and but i never drill the way people drill today and i'm watching a lot of what these guys are doing and like to me it's just like the way wrestlers drill to me makes sense like with half resistance, like, oh, well, it's very realistic. It's almost like combat. To me, that's very intelligent because, like, you're preparing... Because if I go zero resistance, learning to move, to full resistance, practice, right? Live action. Yeah. There's a gap there that most people cannot bridge after 20 minutes of practice. Move, because no matter how much, well, how, me- how well you assimilate that move in memory terms, your body's not used to those reactions. So practicing at half speed I think is a very good bridge between learning to move with no resistance and applying the move full force, right? So like this is why to me drilling with resistance is the only thing that makes sense. When I see a lot of these kids, it's like the classic one is like place the hand on the knees and shuffle your feet around. And I'm going, you know what I'm talking about? Like, there's one guy laid down yeah, yeah. and then the other one places it and then he yeah, just like shuffles his feet like in a half moon. It's conditioning. And, I'm, and I'm going, yes, I'm going like the 23, almost 24 years of Jiu-Jitsu Dave, I have never... Seeing anyone pass anyone's guard like that. Like, it's like it'll be like jogging. Like, there's some footwork going on, there's some cardio, you know, it's conditioning, whatever, but you're not making your jiu jitsu better by jogging. You're not improving your jiu jitsu by shuffling your feet like that. There has to be some element of live resistance. And I see it all the time. And I see these guys spending a lot of time doing this stuff. And it's always by, oh, so and so told me to drill. It's like I was always someone else telling them to drill. And I know a lot of these guys and all these guys, these guys don't drill like that. Yeah. But they, they talk about it because it helps them, you know, promote their brand. People listen because people want a recipe. People like, everyone wants to be successful. No one wants to learn how to be successful on their not because it's too hard. They want a recipe. This is why everyone's always looking up to someone who's done it and go, tell me what I need to do to be like you, right? And that works so well. But the problem is, somewhere along the lines, people the people who are on top who are in the position to give these lessons, they're no longer being honest. They're just giving you bullshit because it's going to sell. And there's a plenty of bullshit out there. Because if you were honest, the number one advice you would give a guy who wanted to be a champion would be, how about you spend less time worried about all those little things you're worried about and just, like, show up to the gym every day. And, like, little things like that. No one wants to hear that. Yeah. But that's, let's just be frank. That's 99% of the equation is just show up. Stop overthinking. Just show up and go to war every day. Try to win. When people have that, it's like, okay, show up to the gym every day and make sure you win every round. Try to win every single round. Don't lose a single fight. Like Battle everything. That's it, right? And then, the, of course, you, there's methodology for diet, for, you know, I, I'm not against drilling per se, but I'm against wasting your time. Things aren't gonna help you in a fight. There's so much of that going on. And I'm watching, it's like, man, you're just frying your nervous system, and there's zero benefit to your jujitsu.
0: Yeah, the, the whole thing with drilling, especially now that my joints are not as cooperative, <laughs> right <laughs> is that you want to use drilling as a substitute for live combat because it's safer yeah and as you said you can bridge a skill gap that you might not be able to in a live opponent yeah so i learned the, t- the technique the first time around you can't do it with any resistance yeah. that's what i call the practice phase when you're like you're just gonna let me do it to yes you. that's yes. not drilling right it's yeah. just it's, it's learn to move yeah I'm, kind of, I'm trying to get the concept of how this move works and I need to do it with, like, essentially a dummy, right? And then drilling, you incorporate some resistance to it, and you're executing full speed, full power. And the idea here is, like you're saying, one, I'm building proficiency in a technique with minimal resistance in an ideal situation. There's very low chance of injury because we both know exactly what's going to happen, right? You're going to do this, I'm going to do that. You know, the injuries happen when something unexpected. Occurs. Yes, it's not
1: controlled. Yeah. Right.
0: That's live combat. Right? So live combat is generally where everybody gets hurt. Yeah. It's very rare if someone's drilling like arm bars and go Ah No, yeah. yeah I've never done that in my life. Takedowns,
1: yes, maybe. But that's like it's, even so it's rare. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And again, even with takedowns, what happens is someone threw somebody bad, right? Yeah. Someone fell the wrong way. Right? So something unexpected happened. You didn't fall the way you were supposed to fall. Or the guy didn't take you down the way you were supposed to. But if you're drilling properly, everything's being done properly, no problems. And then, of course, live combat, you have full resistance. You have unknowns. But if you can hit it in live combat, obviously, that's a great metric. Like, okay, I can do this. I understand this technique well. But like I said, the problem with live combat is a lot tougher in the body. It's a lot of unknowns. You can get hurt easy. You know, you can, And you also, it's hard to do all the time for those reasons. So, you can't spend two hours sparring every day. It's just, it's if, you, if, if you are, you're not really sparring that hard then, right? No, 100%. Right? Yeah, But I can't spend two hours drilling every day. Yes. And get a lot of benefit yes. out of it. I agree. So, some people could say, well, the sparring is more beneficial, perhaps. But then again, you can only spend like maybe 20, 30 minutes hard sparring. Yeah. And then you might not be able to spar tomorrow yeah. just because of fatigue. But I could drill for at least an hour yeah. every day, no problem, and be able to come back. So it's just more about time invested. I, yeah. could, I could spend a lot more time doing it. And then, as you had mentioned, because there's less resistance, there's better likelihood that you'll be able to do the technique properly. Yeah. You know, so that's the benefit of drilling. So like in, in my school, of thought, you're going to come from the wrestling background and all that. We invest a lot of time in drilling. Because we can, yeah. And then of course we do our sparring as well. And like I always tell people, for me, sparring is a feedback loop. Because whatever happened in sparring that went wrong, I have to plug that back in to do your drilling. drilling. Like first to my practice, yeah. right? Because I got to figure out what I misunderstood yeah, about the yeah, concept, yeah. technique, and then once I correct that, then the drilling reinforces yeah. the the, imp, the new model of what this yeah, is, yeah. and then we try it again. You know. Yeah. So I think they're all important, but for me, the bulk of my time is spent, when I was training, would be for drilling. Yeah. And then sparring is just the feedback loop.
1: Yeah. But um, Do you think that wrestling I never wrestled in high school or college. My, my wrestling comes from MMA and grappling sure. or whatever. You think that one reason why they drill so much, and I always thought this of judo and wrestling, is because there's so much more impact in judo and wrestling than there is in grappling on the ground, like jiu jitsu, ground, niwaza. That they can kind have, of, like, if you're, if you're only exclusively practicing on the ground, there's so much, because there's less impact, you can have a 70 30 ratio. So 70% live rolling, 30% drilling, for example, even more. You can even have, you wouldn't be able to go as long, I agree with you. If you're going live, live, you're probably cutting your practice at an hour. Just over an hour, maybe, and that's you're exhausted by then. You might have to take the next day off. Yeah. Whereas in wrestling, I feel like it's <sighs> even more exhausting. A.
0: An hour of live wrestling. Is yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's even more exhausting because
1: you can't break when you're standing. Someone's shooting, you're sprawling, you're back up. It's harder than on the ground physically. And B, like, there's so much more impact, the risk of uh, injury. I mean, it's three, fourfold. Like most injuries I've seen witnessed in my life come from transitions between standing and, and ground. Yep. Like it's the transition. Like you see injuries from sweeps and passes. Submissions are the thing that hurt people the least. Everyone's panicking about like heel hooks and I'm like that's not the one that hurts people the most. Like not even close. It's transitions on your like it's stand-up. this is why Goro Khan wants to make something safer and he removes all these submissions. I got so much shit for this when I said this. I said this in an interview in Brazil and like I had the judo community entirely on my side. And then they kind of flipped the other way because of what I just, <laughs> but, but I basically go, I don't think Jigoro O'Connell really had a deep understanding of grappling because you would have not had, I mean, it's not a simple like to do because like you, why, why would you, why would you eliminate what is, I mean, the, the takedowns are far more dangerous. Like if you're talking about health and you're talking about physical integrity, you would eliminate takedowns. So I'm not suggesting we do that, but that's what you would do if you really were safeguarding health, right? If that were your main
0: concern. The major injuries I've seen in the gym were mainly takedown related. I've had yeah. two guys, again, scissor sweep, yeah. broken chin bone. Yeah. And I remember I had a kid break his arm, posting on the mat. I've seen that a lot in wrestling, too, where yeah. they're slamming. And again, because of wrestling. Oh, those are the worst. Yeah, because yeah, in wrestling, they don't want you to break fall because that would be a takedown. So you're trying to post out. Oh, that's right. So yeah. like... You know, a lot of times you do that post, you can't control what's what's coming behind it. Yeah, and boom, you'll and, see and like oh, you see kids snap their arms. Oh, stinger! I have a
1: herniated disc on my yeah. neck because of of these stingers. Um, I mean, there's so much like in the ribs, knees. Like, there's so much that can go wrong in in a, in, 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 in wrestling for sure. In, uh, that's why I actually think this is why I'm going back to my question. Yeah. Could that be why they have a ratio of maybe 30-70, 30 lives, 70 drilling? I don't know what rest, I mean, maybe even less, maybe 20-80. Whereas in jiu-jitsu, it's the opposite.
0: Yeah, the, I, from my rough memory of my childhood, teenage years, when I was wrestling, because I only wrestled in high school, uh, we would have three-hour practices, and there was maybe 30 minutes of life. The rest was drilling. Or there's practice, of course, learning new techniques. So that's uh, conditioning. What, 80-20 really. ratio, more yeah. or less, something like that. And it was like 30 minutes of life. You know, you remember wrestling matches, and at least in high school level, are six minutes long. You train for three hours for six minutes. Yeah, but it's a it's a brutal six minutes because the other thing is the pace is very different, right?
1: It's go go go. Yeah. There's no break.
0: The uh, jitsu guys would have no idea the the pacing because. Wrestling in Jiu-Jitsu world is very slow paced. I like like,
1: Yeah, you take your time.
0: And there's a lot of distance, and then people move in, yeah. and then they back and move in, and everybody's very scared to shoot because oh, I'm gonna get guillotined, or I'm gonna get you know kimura dropped, or something that happens. So yeah, you have to be a lot more cautious about yeah, shooting. Yeah. You know, whereas in wrestling, they you're starting from touching range, and yeah. you stay in touching range the whole time. If you back out, that's stalling. So just even taking a step back.
1: You have to be engaged the whole time.
0: You're engaged the whole time. Essentially, you're almost forehead to forehead the whole match. And it's not like I can just sit here for like 30 seconds. That's stalling also. So it's go, 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 go. It's a six-minute sprint sprint with weights on. Yeah. So it's brutal. Now, if you're going to do 30 minutes of that, it's also brutal. Mm. You know? So yeah, the it would be like in jujitsu, the closest thing when you do like scramble drills. Like like we used to do that. We had people start sitting on their back yeah, to each other. Yeah, you got 20 seconds scramble, to get out. Scramble. You go. Good you know? practice. Yeah, I've done and, it before. And those suck, you know, but that for 6 minutes, right? Someone will get hurt eventually, right? So I think that is very true what you're saying. Part of the reason why the trainings so structured the way they are. Now, to be fair, in my experience, I've never had a major injury from takedowns. All my injuries came from submissions. You getting
1: caught in submissions? Yes. So, man, because I don't have that same. I wonder is it, is it because you're not tapping fast or are you going cranking you? Both. <laughs> oh, man, really? I, I can't remember the last time I've been injured by someone. I've
0: had, uh, well, my elbows. Never been a factor really. Yeah. Knees, but first time it really hurt my knee, I was actually doing a, a knee slicer on somebody. Yeah. I was like, oh it was massedittal. I had him, I tapped him like three times in a row with a knee slicer, and then on the fourth time or third time I was gonna catch him, he freaked out and started rolling, and I just heard, and I thought he shredded his knee. I'm like oh George you messed your knee up. He's like that wasn't my knee. I was like <laughs> that... oh crap. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, so that's the first time I heard it. I hurt my knee a second time later on doing the same thing, yeah. and then I said, "You know what? No more knee slicers." gotta there's too much of a liability. Um, um, you have to really. The thing is, like, if you're trying to be nice to somebody, you'll hurt yourself. Like, I find with a knee slicer, I gotta, I gotta shred you first, because yeah. if you start freaking out, yeah, and I'm loose, my knee's in a bad spot, and then the there are times where we're off heel hooks and knee bars that. Either were over cranked, like the Palera yeah. situation, when they stopped it and they cranked it anyways, or uh, me and my brother just being stubborn, eating ankle locks. I can see hooks. that, yeah. With brother, yeah. I know my brother's elbows, like him. For for whatever reason, he would get caught in arm bars more, and he'll just let it. You know, you just yeah. take it. You know, like he, he's like in his mind, he would never tap to an armbar. You know, that's yeah. See, but it's funny for me. There was a limit that I would tap to a joint lock, to a choke. Yeah, I'll sleep. You know, I, 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 I wouldn't really care. You know, like if I if I can get out of it, I'll get out of it. I had a lot
1: of trust on the referee and everyone else, <laughs> the I, opponent. Like, yeah, yeah. I, like, yeah.
0: I, I die, I die. You know, yeah. like for me, that's the mindset I had. But I never got into something. Like, that's a misconception people have. Oh, you, you know, you're just stupid. You're gonna tap out of pride. You're not gonna tap out of pride. It wasn't that. I always felt I had a chance out. Like, I remember the one time I got put to sleep in competition. It was Tarsus. We were in double overtime. And he had a rear naked choke on me full in. I remember mm-hmm. that. And I was just thinking, how am I going to win? How am I going to win? And I was just trying to fight hands. He's got no hooks.
1: It's kind of overboard. Isn't it like something like that or no? It,
0: it, well, he initially had no hooks. So I was fighting it. But then he got the hooks in. So that's when I was thinking, how am I going to win? Because I need to get four points. Yeah. And then... Next thing I knew, I was looking at the ceiling, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it, it wasn't like, oh, I hate this guy. I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of a tap. I'm just going to sleep. Like, no, it never was that, you know? Yeah. And same thing with the joint locks. Like, uh, I never, like, when they restarted me with Paul Harris, it yeah. wasn't like, oh, I'm not going to tap yeah. you because I don't like you. It's like, how am I going to win this? Losing is never an option for me as a competitor. Yeah. It's never something I'm going to say, okay, I lost. Like, yeah. I've never lost with grace. Yeah. Like some people like oh, you know, like instead of going berserk, you should
1: just like resign. Oh no, yeah, like, I can't understand that. Like, that doesn't happen to that me. That means like, you lost like minutes ago, yeah. days ago. You mean you walked in there already not believing it?
0: Yeah. yeah like I know I went one with. I mean, it's happened to me a few times. Like when I fought Monson or uh, what's his name, David Terrell. There's like I'm down by two points, thirty seconds left. I'm throwing flying triangles and you know yeah. doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I remember with Monson, I hurt my neck. Throwing a flying triangle that just just slip yeah. right off of him, but it's like I'm not gonna lose with grace, because losing is not something I accept. You know, I'm doing
1: everything I can.
0: To me, like and, and if I you... lose a match because of points, is because I ran out of time, you, know, well, you and, give me more time. I'll wear you and, out. And you, know? and you
1: say grace, and you say grace, but both like, you know, doesn't You don't mean disrespectful towards your opponent. Yeah. But I, and this is, you know, something I've always been aware of. you, you it's fine to be angry. When you lose, and you shouldn't have grace, but it should always be internalized. Like, what am I doing different? What am I doing wrong? I'm the ones that I keep fighting. Never like. I think that's what people you say like when you say losing without grace. I think a lot of people might misunderstand you and mean that you're supposed to be an asshole to your opponent afterwards. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, No, I know you don't mean that, but like because when you say grace, people think, oh, it's okay. Some days you win, some days you lose. Like you shouldn't be thinking like that. You should be pissed off that you just lost. But it's never projected. It's always internalized. Big Uh, difference. Is that even
0: like I'm um, angry, you know? I guess it depends on what happened on the match. But like I've I've grappled Jeff like twice. Lost him both times. First time was kinda of BS. I had a crap call. Second one he legitimately got me. But I was never mad at him. Because first of all, the like even when you get gypped of calls, the comparator didn't do it to you. Yeah. I get mad at the referees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when they give a a shit call, I'm like, this guy messed me up, man. Yeah. You know? And in one crap call it kind of changes the whole dynamic of a match. You Because know, if you lost two oh, points yeah, like it's, now your yeah. whole strategy has changed. Because what would have happened if one I One reset will do it. Yeah, yeah, like if I didn't have those two points back, you know, then I would have strategized everything very differently. But when you're two points back now, everything changes. But even then, like the only time I felt like upset at a competitor was probably with the Paul Harris because it was against the rules. No, right. Uh, but other than that, I've lost to people in it. Like man, fair game. Yeah, yeah but fair, yeah, yeah, I, I, think, I think I think
1: that you have to be like that towards your opponent. But at the same time, and I say this, to my to tell my students is like even in the gym, someone passes your guard, and you're not chewing on that on your way home, you're missing out on an opportunity to learn. Yeah. I think that's a good thing that if you walk off the mats, not patting yourself on the back over the blue belts and the purple belts you tapped, but rather thinking about the brown belt who passed your guard and why you're going to make a lot more progress like this is the kind of stuff that people are talking about like what's you know how to get good at jiu what's the secret right this is the stuff that i to me is like everything yeah like using every single loss as an opportunity to actually improve like taking take notes if you have to this is how many times i got tapped today and and, and then just spend the next day thinking about how you're going to solve that problem so you come back the next day with a new mindset i think very few people do these things
0: my brother and I were filming our matches back in the nineties. Yeah, smart, always have, right? So I never had to like, get angry at unnecessarily. Cause mm. When I lost, like, <clears throat> all right, let's look at the tape. What happened? Like I got into doing half guard because I lost. I I actually my first pro grappling super fight was against uh, Gordo. I mm-hmm. felt Carrera, you know, yeah, inventor yeah, yeah. of the modern, or accredited. Half guard, yeah. Of the modern half guard, right? And at that time, this was probably like 19, or like maybe 2000. Like, nobody was really, at least in my training, half guard was just an intermediate position. Yeah. You know, like, nobody actually yeah, wanted to halfway be in half to guard. Yeah. yeah, you know, you just, like, you got stuck there, and then you get out of it. You shrimp your way out. Um, so when I grappled him, he ended up beating me. He swept me twice, I... I think I took him down or passed his guard or something like that. He beat me with a last minute half guard sweep. And then I filmed everything and I just studied the video like 30 times. And I learned, okay, he does his little body lock half guard sweep, he does this thing. Yeah. And I started doing it in my training. Yeah. Like you were saying, like I call it situational drills, right? Where I just put myself in that position. And constantly. figure it out, yeah. And I, I was just playing half guard the whole time. And then I ended up getting a decent half guard. I came up with some of my, some of my own sweeps. You know, and it became an asset to me. But there's no reason you can't do that in training either. Like now, like I was talking before, like I'm filming myself uh, shooting with a bow and arrow, yeah. and then I'll, I'll watch and see, okay, what did I do with the release? How was my posture? Where was my shoulder in proper yeah. alignment? And you have to document these it's things huge, yeah. because, like, you know, I forget who says this, but what isn't measured isn't improved, right? So, one way of measuring yourself is filming yourself. Yeah. And especially nowadays, everybody has a phone. Everybody has a camera. Put it on the side. Film.
1: Yeah. It's so much easier. Cause like, you know, you're right. Like, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, you had to have, like, VHS. It was you know, it was a lot more work to get record. That's why I have, like, whatever is. I think I have one VHS tape of me as a blue belt somewhere. And then whatever's on YouTube, which is not a lot. Like, I have close to none of my matches. Every now and then, someone will... Like, It's happened like two or three times in the last couple of years. Like, an old opponent when I was a purple belt or brown belt, like, hey, this is me grappling Robert Drysdale in 2002 or three. And then they posted it on their Instagram, like, oh, shit, it's me. It's a brown belt. Like, I had n- I'd never seen myself grapple with a brown belt or the a purple belt until, yeah. you know, people. And then I, you know, that's you, you keep that as, as, as something valuable. But I recommend people record all their matches, I think that's a great habit. Not only for, I think for historical purposes too, not just for your own self-development. I think that things should be recorded. If you have the ability and technology to do it, why not? Yeah. Like think yeah. how much more we would know about the history of everything if we had better records of, oh, absolutely. like, you know, history. I mean, you, when you're talking about, like, newspapers and articles and oral testimony and all these things, it's like, you're, it's, like it's very thin. It's very thin. For, if you build a case with that, it's extremely difficult. I wonder how history is going to be written 50 years, 100 years from now when the technology, the AI is going to be so sophisticated it's probably going to... I mean, it might be writing history for you, which is kind of scary too. But I, I think that these things are... Like, you have to record these things. If you have the ability to do it... When I was a kid, he used to tell, like, oh, you should have a diary. You know, like, that's that's what people... Yeah. Like, you should have a diary and record it data. I thought that was stupid. I look at that completely different. It's like, oh, man, I wish I had a diary. And if I'd written in, like, five... Because I think it's it's... I mean, so it's act of self reflection too. I think just writing about your day and what you're doing and what you're Absolutely. thinking about, but I think it's just recording things is is there's something very special about in terms of identity. And I think a lot of people miss that. They think history is about memorizing old dates and things that aren't relevant to their present and future. When they're in fact, they're extremely relevant. Yeah,
0: um, and especially with video because you capture a lot more, right? Like a written testimonial is. Uh, very, a very lot of opinion. Yeah, so exactly. It's yeah. pretty much all opinion, right? That you're being yeah. putting out. You're not there. supposed to. Like good yeah. journalism
1: and good history writing is not, it's supposed to be devoid of opinion. Yeah. It's yeah. It's almost impossible. Yeah, it's
0: very biased, right? Yeah. And you there you're only listening to the things that this guy deems yeah important, you know. But yeah. when you have video you see everything. Yeah. The only thing you're missing out on are really are smell and I guess the sixth sense that yeah. this you know the aura of the room yeah yeah a hundred percent yeah you can't you walk into a fight locker room and you smell tension you yes I mean? yes. Yeah. yes it's hard to explain but <laughs> i know you're talking
1: about you're gonna get that in video that's the only thing that's missing though you're right yeah. everything else is in which is incredible because you know i think and i think technology might solve that one too i think ai and virtual reality might be able to create these environments in the future
0: that'll be interesting Whatever. they could as far as because it's a real thing right that that the energy of the room, the aura of a, of a person. Oh, it's everything. You know, That's the best thing about it. Yeah, and some people don't might not appreciate that as much because you haven't been in real stressful situations. Yeah. But like fight rooms are highly stressful, yeah. right? Because there's so many people that inked up. I think you go walk in there with your eyes closed and know something's up.
1: Oh yeah i I believe you like yeah. it's it's something in the air it's the I would love to do an experiment of that actually
0: you know, have like a blind bring, person bring walk someone in. in like hey, I'm just gonna show you to the random place that have had their ears covered, eyes covered, like, bring them in, and then ask them you know what wh- wh- how are you feeling right now, you know, yeah, because there is at least when you're have all your senses engaged, your heart rate goes up, you know like everything's pumping yeah
1: and and like for example, like you can the silence says a lot too, so if you see a woman. You know, it's like, you know, full of like guys or alphas and they're all very quiet. It's terrifying things. You know what I'm I'm talking about? It's like, these are killers. (laughs) You know, they're all very quiet. It's almost like you want them to be talking because you get a picture of what's going through their head when they're talking. When they're silent, you're like, what is this guy thinking? It creates tension, right?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of tension in the the fight room. And not to mention what ends up happening to the coaches and corners, especially me
1: yeah oh, i always do i feel like an idiot like i'm shadow boxed. look at that idiot coach shadow box you can't help it yeah yeah like a, next time i'm shadow boxing the locker room with my fight i mean, think it just it just happens it's yeah. all the time yeah. like
0: to a point when i'm watching fights on tv and i'm interested in them not just like passively watching them yeah i'm shadow boxing also yeah. it's it's almost like i have like a, a sympathy of, with the fighter yeah. that or empathy rather that I'm feeling what they're feeling, and if I was feeling that, that means I want to get moving, right? I have that nervous energy, you know? Yeah. When you're not invested in watching the fighters, whatever, like...
1: You'd be on your phone. You can be... Yeah, you don't care, but... No, I'm with you. I remember fights that mean something to me, like a friend or something I'm really emotionally involved in. I catch myself, like, slipping punches for them. Yeah. Like you're I'm playing gonna video games, with you know, me. like. Stop shadowboxing. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm like bobbing and weaving. <laughs> like, I'm like I'm like moving my feet. Like it's almost like you're trying to, because you're so involved in what's happening. Like you're sending like good energy or something. Anyway, um, Dave, I got to get going, man. I got a long day ahead of me. I got to make up for all the. I got like 200 emails in my inbox. <laughs> so that's right. that's going to be my Sunday. That's but cool. uh, man, it's a pleasure as always. Um, this has been fun. Hope you guys enjoyed. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll do another, shoot another one next week, next week.
0: Yes, sir. Actually, but it might be in a little bit. No. Yeah. Wait, you,
1: you got to go somewhere?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be... Well, I have my camp here. Oh, that's right. You got um, a camp coming yeah, up. Yeah, coming up in, the, well, Tuesday. So And then after that, I'm going hunting. So, it's right <laughs> after the camp. So, hopefully, the next time you see me, I'll have a freezer full of elk. Oh, hook me <laughs> up. Hook me up. Yeah. No, yeah. we'll do
1: that. And when you're back, then we'll, we'll get another one in. And uh, in the meantime... Train hard, guys. Show up. Um, Yeah, stay awesome. Love you guys. See you guys next time. Ciao.
0: Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. As always, like, share, comment, and any feedback you have, you can send it to us uh, on social media or on our website, breakingtheguard.com. Thank you very much, and we look forward to having you back soon. Final award from one of our sponsors, which is Drysdale Cradle Series. The Robert Drysdale Cradle Series is a fantastic way to utilize the classic wrestling pin, the cradle, into mixed martial arts and jiu jitsu. A lot of jiu jitsu guys, particularly, don't see a value in pinning because just pinning the person doesn't really do that much and they tend to neglect it. But you'll see this. A lot of value in a pin when you realize you can use it to segue into other positions. And the cradle is no exception. With the cradle you can set up chokes like the guillotine, uh the DARS, Japanese necktie, and we go over a host of different ways of setting it up, how to pass guard with it. Particularly if you get frustrated with people who do the China Wall or the Shin Shield. Or this is a great way of dealing with that. So go ahead, visit bjjcradle.com to learn all about it. You can join the newsletter there and get access to a few free free videos. And you can see there that's something you want to invest in. I would highly recommend it. It's available in both DVD and online formats. So go ahead and visit bjjcradle.com to learn more.